25 minutes in front of the hour as we round out our broadcast as we do each week with my friend Yael Asowski from the Consumer Choice Center. Hey, going back to that break real quick, you know you're doing something well when you got the erectile dysfunction ad playing during the commercial break. I think uh, the blue pill guy, though he's not the blue pill guy with his acoustic wave treatment, but you get the blue pill guy and then you get a gold coin you know, distributor. If you get those two on talk radio, you're doing something right. So we're working on the gold coin guy. And maybe some others uh, that are, are brewing uh, some seeds that we've been uh, uh, watering for the last uh, several weeks to get them jumping on board uh, here as we move through this election season with everyone in tune with the news uh, each and every day. Yeah, of course, uh, one of the only avenues where you can find uh, somewhat of an alternative voice providing you the facts, the information, but also an opinion that you may not hear you know, through the daily consumption of news and information elsewhere across the many mediums that uh, fall through your fingertips each day on your mobile device. Yael, my friend, uh, it's great to have you back on the program. I hope you're doing well this week. Yeah, thanks so much, Joe. Uh, I think to, to add to your, your row of sponsors, you just need an Arctic Seed Company, and then you've kind of reached the trifecta. So you're close. Arctic Seed Company, not the seeds from China that are coming over somehow, some way, finding their way into the mailbox of many American farmers and gardeners some way, how or another. <laughs> yeah, you, you want the ones that come from Norway and Iceland. No, no way the China ones. So hopefully you'll get on the right side. And this uh, well, messed up world we live in, did you get that story? What was it, from Michigan? The Norwegian native uh, running his bed and breakfast uh, was criticized and shamed to the point where he had to bring down his Norwegian flag next to the American flag because uh, uh, Michiganders thought it was a Confederate flag. Did you catch that story? Oh, I, I definitely did. And the funny thing about it is uh, for many years, I actually had a Norwegian flag in, in my office because I'd been to Oslo a few times. So uh, I dug it up to make sure it doesn't resemble the Confederate flag. And I can assure you, Joe, it does not at all. It just happens to be red. <laughs> the stars and bars versus uh, Norway now. I mean, really, here we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought nothing it was more hilarious, and I know we've discussed this uh, plenty the last time I think the la the CEOs of the big tech companies uh, had a chance to talk and testify uh, in front of uh, you know our OK Boomer DC generation crowd that uh, couldn't figure out how to go to BigTalkerFM.com and click the Listen Live button uh, to listen to our program. It would take you know at least six staffers to make it happen for a guy like uh, Jerry Nadler. Uh, with that said, I know you and I don't have disagreement on uh, you know how companies should be able to operate within the free market. Uh, uh, well, it's just kind of a fine needle we need to thread here because of the fact that I think our society has done a a, a, a piss poor job, frankly, of uh, you know adapting to this new world that we're living in and has created a lot of societal issues, particularly among our younger generations and adults alike. But let's get into the censorship issue and whether or not we should, you know, have government intruding on a free market type of business like technology. So, yeah, for your listeners, Joe, the, the context of this is a hearing in D.C., and this is for the Antitrust Subcommittee. And they're basically getting together and questioning these CEOs to figure out if they're going to rewrite the antitrust rules for the 21st century. So the antitrust rules were, were written for the you know large barons in the oil, uh, train, 
you know, transportation sectors back in the 1800s and early 1900s. And now we have technological companies that are some of the richest. So the whole point of the the entire debate or the whole testimony was to try to figure out if we should rewrite these rules. And it was perfect theater, you know, just like you mentioned, uh, a lot of people asking uh, essentially uh, customer service questions about, you know, how they can get things connected or uh, why was Don, Donald Trump Jr.'s account deleted on Facebook when in fact he was suspended on Twitter. There was all this back and forth. Um, the whole point of it is that you had the Democratic side, which was really trying to make the antitrust argument. They think the companies have grown too big. They think they've made really bad, unscrupulous, unethical decisions. They've bought out their competitors. Um, they've offered predatory pricing, is their word, and they've, quote, bullied their competition. And then for the Republican side, it's more that you're censoring conservative media, you're shadow banning. Uh, some of your things mark conservative pages as spam. So it was just kind of two different narratives going along. Uh, I saw it as, as kind of like a two-minute hate, because if you see the video, it's just right there on the screen. Everybody's in their home office uh, playing with their cat, or they have the books in the background, and then they give their spiel about you know what's happening at Apple or Google, uh, Facebook or Amazon, and you have this two-minute hate where everyone's looking at the screen and, and throwing hate down at them. It's just like from the scene from 1984. You know, it was, it's. Um, I think it was. It's kind of. It's kind of depressing for, for those of us who are tech literate and understand this stuff, and, and we criticize the tech companies as much as anyone else, but some of the things they were discussing were just ridiculous. I'll just give you a very, very quick example. Um, there's one about the entire idea of Amazon opening up its platform for third-party sellers. Um, Joe, you probably were on Amazon early, as I was. I used to use it to buy books, and you know there wasn't too many choices. You could buy a couple books here and there. All was good. And then they started offering all these other products from third-party sellers, and it was this awesome innovation, and Amazon opened up its store for anyone to come sell on. Now the complaint is, well, you've allowed these people to come in, and now what you're doing is you're checking out their data, seeing what their prices are, and you're offering products that consumers especially love. You are terrible for doing so. I think that was just, it's just way out of bounds. And really, from a consumer perspective, that's nothing we're mad at. It's something that we're excited about. It's the reason that instead of buying a, a cooler from company A or B, I bought one from Amazon Basics because it was the best one. So this is the kind of stuff that uh, it felt a little out of place throughout the entire hearing. Uh, God forbid anybody who actually watched it for the full five hours like I did. Uh, but definitely there was a lot of things on display uh, there in D.C., Joe. Yael Lasowski from the Consumer Choice Center with us, uh, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice, uh, consumerchoicecenter.org, their website. Uh, also, Yael, the co-host of the Consumer Choice Radio Show, which airs at 10 o'clock Saturday mornings uh, right here on the Big Talker 106.7 FM. All right, let's, uh, since you know we are a right-leaning and have a very conservative listening base, uh, let's uh, take up the conservative argument uh, that uh, many politicians were making the other day surrounding censorship and uh, you know of course we had the voodoo doctor earlier this week who was censored for you know promoting hydrocloxychloroquine or whatever it is in the in the zinc cocktail and then talking about demon sperm and all this other stuff uh, you know she was I guess censored from uh, Facebook and some of the other platforms I can make the argument that uh, you know even though you may feel like you're getting getting an unfair shake when you look at the cult quote-unquote culture wars uh, that this is the one platform that you still have a voice on. I mean, when you look at entertainment, the arts, uh, media, academia, they're all controlled by many 
progressive, liberal-leaning types of uh, systems. Uh, the Internet is still you know, largely unregulated, which means uh, you have more of a voice on this platform as compared to some of the other ways in which uh, the society, our society con- you know, consumes information day to day. Yeah, and I think for for this particular case, when it comes to the the doctors, um, the concerned doctors, I don't even remember their name, but they had their website taken down, uh, their video was censored online, and then uh, you know you saw. I mean, you, I think Joe, you might have been reading too much left wing press on this, but they they focused on the doctor with all the alien stuff yes, and, and whatever the sperm. Doctor. Voodoo doctor, sure, but this these are like YouTube videos that she did a couple of years ago through some church or something. You know, keep in mind this is a doctor who is from from Ghana, uh, who comes from a different culture, who you know is African. Um, hello, <laughs> I guess we don't really care about this anymore in, in the media, uh, but yeah, we d- we definitely saw the big hand of uh, what's happening with Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else censoring, and that is the big problem that we've talked about before with the World Health Organization. Uh, all of these organizations, social media networks, have said anything related to COVID, if it contravenes what the World Health Organization says, we're going to take it down. Uh, I think that is a really bad position overall, and then it means that anything that would be skeptical of the World Health Organization's position, which I think all of us need to, I think that's what the last couple of months have taught us, uh, so that's very problematic. But going back to the hearing, you know, it's very true that there are a lot of conservative pages that have been flagged, uh, that perhaps have had issues online, that have been more frequently censored. Um, It's also true that conservative pages are some of the most popular on things like Facebook and Twitter, which is like kind of this odd thing. It's no surprise that there would be bias. All these companies, you know, whether it be Facebook or Twitter, I mean, look, these are huge uh, tech giants that sit in fairly liberal states in places like California. This is where most of the content moderators are. I think we need to turn up the heat whenever there are issues there. I think using the force of government is probably too far. And uh, I think as as much as we want to say it should be balanced, um, this is pretty much seems to me like kind of the fairness doctrine uh, argument about talk radio a lot throughout the 1990s that I don't think we really need to bring up now. Uh, If we do this antitrust thing right now, it doesn't seem like these companies. I mean, imagine it's four different companies and we're talking about monopolies. Um, So that's a little bit of cognitive dissonance there. But yeah, there's definitely stuff to criticize about these companies. Believe me, Joe, I can do it all day. I use alternative services for that reason because there are certain things I don't like. But again, these are not the principal villains in American society today. These are companies that provide amazing value to you and me and families and business partners and small businesses who advertise on these platforms. People love them. Consumers love them. We all have our gripes, but I don't think we need the federal government to investigate or put up some kind of antitrust suit to try to break them apart. I think that's just one step too far. Yael Lasowski with us uh, from the Consumer Choice Center here this morning at ConsumerChoiceCenter.org, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice. Also, you can hear their radio show 10 o'clock Saturday mornings uh, right here only on the Big Talker 106.7 FM. Well, you can get it elsewhere through some other platforms, but through the terrestrial radio signal uh, right here uh, here in southeastern North Carolina. Great influence they have uh, not only across our state but around uh, the world. And that's why we talk with Yael, who's based out of Vienna right now and uh, getting ready to head with his uh, colleagues out to Amsterdam. Uh, watch out for that wacky tobacco out there, Yael. You don't want to get mixed up with some of that stuff. You end up uh, you know, in, in, down the wrong uh, street 
and you never know where, where, where it takes you. You're a married man, Yael, with, with a nice uh, kid at home. So be careful out there in Amsterdam. We follow all the rules wherever we go. We follow all the rules and laws. No worries. No doubt. All right. Well, one other issue I wanted to bring up, because I know you touched on this you know, a few broadcasts ago on the show, and uh, you know, a lot of talk about education, where we're going with this. And uh, the New York Times came out with something not too long ago known as the 1619 Project, and it's being lauded by the media, uh, many Democrats. They believe uh, you know, the history in our country has been distorted. Uh, mainly due to racism and uh, slavery. And uh, with that being said, uh, I know there's a lot of criticisms that are out there, including a a few uh, Republican senators who are saying, you know, this uh, way of teaching our history needs to remain out of the classroom. If it wants to get put out there on social media or elsewhere for people to consume, that's one thing. But when it becomes part of the general everyday curriculum within our public schools, that's a completely different story. Talk about the 1619 Project. Some of it's... uh, no, frankly, lies. So let's poke some holes in what this uh, publication has uh, turned into and a potential uh, history lesson within our school system. So this was a, a, a historical project, and I say that for a very important reason, a historical project by the New York Times. This was particularly spearheaded by one reporter, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Uh, she produced a series of essays from different historians and journalists that tried to reimagine the history of slavery. It's called 1619 because that's the the first sort of grounding of the first uh, slave who arrived in the new colonies um, in 1619. So the argument is that America did not begin in 1776, but rather in 1619, and that the American experiment in American history is actually the history of slavery, and they're intertwined, and the economics of slavery have actually defined our country rather than been a scorn or a thorn. So that, that's kind of the, the overview of the project. There have been different essays, uh, specifically those by Miss Jones that were immediately debunked. Uh, one argument that she made that had to be later clarified by the New York Times is that the Revolutionary War, fighting against Britain, was fought because they wanted to extend slavery. Um, so this is a project that won the Pulitzer Prize, yet still had this huge correction, huge glaring error, and uh, you know you didn't really have uh, any kind of, of pushback too much uh, within the New York Times of this. Another claim that's brought up a lot in many of these essays is that capitalism has actually been intertwined, again, with racism and slavery, and that essentially the, the capitalism that has made America one of the richest countries in the world is actually inherently evil and is something that no country should strive towards. So there's these kind of two competing narratives that really paint a, not a good picture at all of, of really real American history. It downplays many of the documents of the Founding Fathers and their principles. We all learned that they fell short of their ideals. We knew that in school. That's what, exactly what we learned. That's what I learned not more than a decade ago. That's what you learned, Joe. And what this project tries to do is rewrite that history and say that instead we are a racist nation, we're a slave nation, this is where slavery was born. Uh, Keep in mind that slavery is not an American invention, it was one that has been practiced for thousands of years. I think there's a little book called The Bible that features a little bit of that. Uh, for those who are interested. Uh, But yeah, one of the best people to read on this is Phil Magnus. Uh, He's from the American Institute on Economic Research. I interviewed him on your program, Joe, some months back. Uh, He actually already wrote a book called 1619, A Critique. 
Uh, he actually is a historian by training, so he goes through point by point to say what is wrong about this. What's concerning, as you mentioned, is that this will now be criteria for many superintendents in school districts. I think that's fairly concerning because it means we're going to have an entire generation of people who uh, are going to have ideas that are incorrect on American history, on capitalism, on innovation, and they're going to think that we're a country that is not uh, redeemable. I think that's very bad. That's very scary, in fact, uh, the way in which uh, we have kind of strayed away from teaching history altogether in many of our public schools. I want to say here in North Carolina, I think like 15% of history classes have been eliminated uh, up through you know high school over the last uh, several decades. Uh, with that being said, so slavery began in the United States is one that shakes my head, even though there are still you know, nations across the country that practice slavery, uh, China being one of them, along with uh, others uh, across Africa and in the Middle East. Uh, that does not get much attention. And then 1619, huh? who, who was in control of uh, what is now known as the United States in the year 1619? Yeah, yeah, just give me a little refresher course here. Oh, well, you had the British, but you also had the Dutch. You had uh, many different European uh, colonialists who were trying to take over North America at the time, including my ancestors, the French. Uh, but the British were really the ones who, who kind of started this whole thing up. And when we talk about the Revolutionary War and when it was time to put together the Declaration of Independence and have the colonies to come together to try and get the Brits out, uh, it was a group of people from very vast uh, areas up and down the East Coast uh, who had different viewpoints on where we should move forward and how we should move forward based uh, partially economics in the South related to slavery. Uh, it was uh, the need to come together, even though these imperfect human beings uh, wanted to stray away and break off independently, that in some instances, some of those founders knew that slavery was not going to be something that was going to last in the long term uh, when we talk about the grand scale history of the nation. But it was something that needed to be included because in order to unify against the Brits, you had to get other folks who believed that that was maybe the future for them. You had to get them on board. Is that not uh, also along the lines of thinking as to the way this country was founded? Yeah, it was one of the first battles. And, you know, even if uh, you are a Broadway type and you saw the play Hamilton, which is great, by the way, you saw it on Disney Plus over the weekend. If you've seen that, then it's the same thing. There are the, the different people from the various states who are who have the in thought that they need to abolish slavery, but the first thing that they have to do is they have to rebel against Great Britain, they have to rebel against the king, and they need their independence. Everything else, all the ideas and principles that they're going to fight for, they are to be debated and brought up, but taking arms against an empire that controlled their land, that was incredibly important. And no doubt, uh, the, the typically evil institution of slavery has dogged the American founding since its very beginning. It's been the argument of, of many fights between states, especially as we expanded westward. So it's not as if there have never been any naysayers. Need I remind all of your audience that there were many abolitionists uh, who had a lot of power throughout time. And uh, these people are not forgotten in American history. If anything, we should celebrate them. But history is that. It's complicated. There's a lot of players. There's a lot of actors. There's no dominating narrative. You know, there's no all-seeing purveyor. There's no large hand that pushes history along. It just happens, and there's a lot of things happening at one time. The best we can do is figure out the truth, and hopefully that sheds some light on our present. 
Yael Lasowski with some sound advice this morning uh, when it comes to, uh, well, uh, frankly, a very scary situation as to uh, you know how superintendents and administrative states in uh, the public school system is going to decide whether to implement uh, this distorted way of viewing our history into the classroom over the next uh, several years. Yael, enjoy your trip to Amsterdam, and we'll catch up next week. All right. Thank you, Joe. Talk soon. We will talk soon. Next Friday, you can hear Yael and his colleague Dave Clement tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, as co-hosts of the Consumer Choice Radio Show. Once again, it airs 10 o'clock Saturday mornings right here on the Big Talker 106.7 FM. Mm-hmm.